0: I don't know if I can preach after six weeks of you guys hearing Harold and Nikolai and Bob and Jody and Bonnie faithfully proclaiming God's word. And as I watched, like, man, I got to up my game. Uh, Of course, we know that's not what I, it's not a performance. It's that each week hearing faithfully God's word preached, and it was every week that I was gone. And, And that brings me so much rest. You can't understand, that brings me rest when I'm away knowing that God's word is preached clearly. In this place, amen to that. So I thank all of them for that. Uh, As I said, I've been gone six weeks, and God and I have been talking a lot. And so uh, I try not to put down everything we talked about in this sermon, but we'll see how it goes. (laughs) But you know, this is the other observation I had: this the service is structured for the length of my sermon, and so when I was gone, the service was a lot shorter. Uh, then I, so I was like, hmm, maybe I need to reevaluate what I'm doing here. So that was just an observation I had. Yeah, six weeks. Yeah. Where is Jesus? Maybe you've asked that to him. Maybe you've pleaded out to Jesus, Where are you? Where are you, Jesus? Have you seen Jesus? Have you seen Jesus? Are you looking for him? Do you know where he is? Where is Jesus? As we turn on the news every other day, or as we read it, as we look at our own lives, perhaps we just had an exasperating day, or Alexander, a no-good, rotten day. It could be easy to wonder and ask yourself, where is Jesus? Or even ask him, where are you? I didn't see you today. I couldn't find you. Even when we we come to this place and we open up our Bibles and open our voices to praise him and to, to sing his praises and we come searching for him, we often still miss Jesus. And perhaps you're asking, where is Jesus? Where is Jesus? One way we can describe the, the purpose of our whole life and existence in this world is a relentless pursuit and search for Jesus. I mean, we, we're told in this scripture, God, he tells us to follow him. If you are following him, it means you've had to have found him. It means you had to have searched for him in some way. Or perhaps more accurately, we need to know is that we need to know who he is. And we need to know who we're called to be. I want to make it very clear for you all to understand this. I, I know you know this, but Jesus is our destination. We, we talk about heaven as our destination, but I, and it is a place that will be and is called as a gathering, but Jesus is the purpose. Jesus is the destination. We had a couple uh, some men gather at my house last night if you weren't there or you weren't invited, it wasn't because I was trying to exclude you as an ad hoc thing that we threw together at the last minute. And this is what I told the men, like like, this is what the Bible says what a manly man is, you are to be like Christ. It's simple. You are to be like Christ. And you know what? This is a very fascinating thing, very controversial thing the Bible does. You know what it says for a, a biblical woman to be? You ought to be like Christ. It's the same destination. It's the same character. And listen, I know most of the men in here well, There are no manly men in this church. My hope is there's some that are becoming more Christ-like. Same with the women. That's our destination. Joint together that we're on this journey to to be like him, to be transformed into his character more and more each day. Christ-likeness in this passage today in John Let's go back a little bit where we were as we were going through John, but what's going to happen just before this, right? Jesus just fed the 5,000. He just fed the 5,000. He sent his disciples off to Capernaum on a boat, and then Jesus withdrew on the mountain. And then we have this incredible account of him walking on water, catching up to his disciples, and then being with them in Capernaum. But the next day, where he was, right? where in the feet of 5,000. This whole crowd, 5,000 men plus more women, right? And children, right? There's, who knows how many people were there? But this crowd, they were looking for Jesus. They knew the disciples left. And they knew Jesus stayed. But when they woke up, what were they doing? They were looking for Jesus. And they couldn't find him. And so they went out looking for him. And they're asking, where is Jesus? Where is Jesus? They actually found him. They went to Capernaum. They went and found him, John 6, 25. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they walked there. I could show you a map. It was actually easier to walk than you think, right? When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus doesn't answer their question but he actually questions their motives for their question Jesus doesn't answer him he says he asked them what are your motives for seeking me what are your motives what are your motives today for coming here what are your motives every day when you look for Jesus or you open up your bible Or you say that you are a follower of Jesus. What is your motive when you turn to Jesus? Is it to feel better? Maybe you're just having a bad day. Is it to feel safe? You're living in a world and you're scared and you're fearful. Is it to feel loved because you do not feel loved? You feel abandoned and alone. Is that why you look for Jesus? Is it to feel protected? Because you are unsafe? Is it to be fed because you are hungry and starving for righteousness? Is it to receive the gifts that He brings? Eternal life and so much more. What is your motive for seeking Jesus? All these things that I just said, they're things that He provides. Those are all things that He provides. But heaven forbid they be your motive for seeking him. It might be what he uses to draw you to him. But those are just his gifts. This is just what he provides. In John 6, 26, Jesus says to them, Truly, truly, I want you to understand this. This is truth and you need to hear it. I say to you, you are seeking me. Not because you saw signs, but because you are you are full of the loaves. Look at the miracles and the gifts. I fed you as miraculous. Really important: the miracles and gifts of Jesus can be corrosive to our faith. It can distort why we seek Him, and when we seek Him. Very important. Be careful of seeking after those things. Those are things that he provides as you need them, but be careful because they can be corrosive to your faith in Jesus. Jesus is saying to this crowd, it's like, you saw the sign. You saw the miracle of the breaking of the bread and the feeding of the 5,000. You ate the food. You saw that, but he's really saying, you actually didn't see the miracle. You saw what you thought was miraculous, And you ate the food, but you didn't understand what it signified. You didn't understand the purpose and why I did this. I didn't just do it to do it. I didn't just do it to feed you. But you were blind and ignorant to understanding what was really miraculous about that moment. What the sign signified. You see, signs communicate. When you're driving down the street... Signs tell you something. They communicate for you to do something or or something that's ahead or a warning, right? The sign in itself isn't that important. But what you do with the sign is really important. If you see a stop sign and you just boom, right? Like, hey, I saw the stop sign. Like, no, you gotta stop. You have to understand what it signified and actually do this. You see, Jesus says you miss the point. Why I fed you bread and fish? The, the point I hope you understand is that Jesus, is this is a new Exodus experience. Like right? They all have this information about the Exodus, this, this miraculous event in which God, through Moses, led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt into the wilderness, miraculously fed them, and led them to the promised land. God gave them freedom, and Jesus who is the greater moses who is more than moses could ever wish or want to be said so look at this is why i did this i did this so you can understand this i'm bringing you a, a bigger freedom a greater freedom true freedom not just from oppression from this land and people but from all things i'm leading you into a new kingdom a new land Jesus is saying, All this, the miracle is that I am God. (laughs) That's the miracle. It's not my gifts. It's not my gifts. We come to Jesus not for his provisions and not for his gift, but for who he is. He is the glorious one, he is the great one, he is the gift period. In John 6, 27, he goes on to say, do not work for the food that perishes, but the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. Do not work, labor, do not search for food that perishes. Do not search for my temporal gifts, but work, labor, strive, ever everlasting food. Doesn't that sound like the same thing he said in John 4 to the woman at the well? <laughs> like the gifts are the things I just provide when I know you need them. Stop seeking after them. Seek after the one who gives them. Seek after me because I am worthy. Then he reveals himself, right? He says, Look at the Father has set his seal on me. That seal, like you know, it's like typically what you see, like a wax seal, it's a seal like, hey, this is the king, this is a letter for me, and it says, ownership. Jesus belongs to the Father. The Father and Jesus are one. This is it's authenticating Jesus. That he is Lord. And they said to him in verse 28 what must we do? What must we do to be doing the works of God? And and like, that's not a crazy question. That's such a great question. Like, okay, what should we do? What should we do to be doing the works that God wants us to do? In verse 29, Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. I mean, this, they ask a great question. What can we practically do? How do we do what God has called us to do? How do we live the moral law? How do we do this, Jesus? And Jesus says, hey, this is it. This is God's work. This is really important. This is God's work that you trust me. That you trust me. Don't trust in the food that I provide a trust in the food provider the reason that jesus performs any miracle is that you understand who he is and that you learn to trust him god's work for us is to trust him Now, it might be hard to wrap our mind around this. I know you know this, right? This is what we do as Christians. We believe, we have faith, we trust in Jesus. But to get our our mind wrapped around, I don't think it's as hard as we think it is to understand that trust is actually a labor and hard work. Here's, Here's my point. Try trying trusting someone. Go ahead. You've done it in your life, right? Trusting people is not easy work in your life, is it? It is hard work to trust people because they're broken, but more so because you're broken. That's why you have a hard time trusting people. Trust is a work, trust is a labor. We we know it, we know it because it's exasperating for us at times. Some people may be easy to trust. You don't know, I question whether you really trust them or not. And some people are really hard to trust. This is the gospel clearly. I want you to hear this because this is counterintuitive. Trust is a gift. It is always given. It is never earned. The world will tell you something different. The world will tell you, okay, you have to to do something to earn my trust. Here's what I'm saying about that, is that you're broken, and that person can be completely trustworthy, and you will never give them your trust. That's quite possible. Here's what I also will know in this world. Everyone will break trust with you. Everyone. You will break trust with everyone, because you are a broken person, and they're a broken person. Jesus won't break trust. But here's the thing. This is what God does for us. God gives us trust. Trust he entrusts us with his gospel. Think about that. He says, this is the good news. I give it to you. Go share it. Right? That, you know, like, if I'm God, like, this is not the strategy I'm using. I'm not using this ragtag group of people. Like, no, but this is what he intentionally does. He entrusts us. Do you earn it? Do you deserve it? No. I am not saying that you should trust everyone. There are people that are very harmful, can be very harmful to you, that are very dangerous that you should not trust, or there's different levels of that kind of trust, right? But ultimately, if you want to trust that person, you have to give it. It will never be earned. It will never be earned. Jesus gives us the gift of trust. And he says, will you, he gives him his self, and will you give yourself to him? Will you trust him? Trust, as you see, is not a passive action at all. It has very hard work. It is a labor. Trust is a inward and outward action of reality. When we talk about, in the gospel, we talk about faith and works, and I hope you know you are saved by grace, right? But here's what, when the gospel talks about works, or the New Testament talks about works, this is what it means. Acts of trust. Or, Or trust acts. That's what works is. Because trust is this not an intellectual thought or words given. It's actually demonstrated through acts that I trust you. And so that's what works are. That's the gospel language. Trust acts. The ability to trust is a gift from God that the Holy Spirit gives to you that he asks you give back to me. Trust me. I am the one trustworthy. And Jesus isn't mad. He doesn't, uh, passive about this. He doesn't just say, hey, hey, trust me. He actually models what trust looks like. He actually models, this is how I want you to trust me, and by Jesus trusting his Father on earth. In John 5, 19, so Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing on his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise, meaning Jesus is trusting that the Father is trustworthy. And so whatever the father does, the son does. He's modeling this for us because what, it, what are we ought to do? Whatever Jesus does, we ought to do in his character. We are to trust him in that way. Goes on, John 4, 34. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. Hear it clearly. Jesus is satisfied. He is fed by doing his father's work. Now, what did Jesus just tell you the work of God was for you? Believe in him. He's telling you very clearly you want to be satisfied, you want to be fulfilled, trust in me. Oh, simple. No, not simple at all. Very hard work, but it is what will satisfy you. We will be satisfied doing Jesus' work, the work of trusting him. And he's our model. He's demonstrating. This is what it looks like to trust God. You and I are made in his image, broken because of sin. And God is working in us. And I told you this already. The destination is to be Christ-like. In his character, in which he models trust in God. And he says, Trust in me. I have a, a, a book club with uh, uh, several pastors in our presbytery, and uh, we've been reading through Kevin Van Hoosier's book, uh, Hearers and Doers. Kevin Van Hoosier is a professor. Uh, covenant seminary i'm not sure anyway hearers and doers and he highlights kevin van hooser highlights this verse james 1 and of the purpose of his book it says but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourself now the word is jesus so don't just listen to jesus do what jesus does do what he does we are to do what Jesus does. We hear him. In order for you to do what he does, you have to hear him, and then you do what he does, which is trust. One of the primary reasons in which we gather every Sunday, in which the reason why you open up this Bible to read on your own or with a group the reason why I come and preach and reveal what I I read and hear and understand in Scripture is, is is to help each other. We gather together to help each other to walk and act like Jesus. We gather together to help each other in our trust acts. That's what we do. If if you try this on your own, it will not go well. But we are called to do this together, to be a community that helps each other in our trust acts with God. This is actually how God decides how sanctification works. It's by his indwelling Holy Spirit. But here's the thing. It's just not the indwelling Holy Spirit that helps me. It's the indwelling Spirit in you that helps me and in me that helps you, and vice versa. We're a community in which God indwells in us to help each other to trust him, to navigate the brokenness of this world, the brokenness of our hearts, to learn to trust him, and then we will be satisfied. In James 1, 24 goes on. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Van Hoosier says very aptly, he says, Look, we aren't called to be mirror and perfect copies of Jesus. We're not a mirror image of Jesus. We're not a spitting image. Image of Jesus, but we are fitting image of Jesus. You and I, and everyone in this room, we're uniquely different. We all have different personalities and all kinds of things, unique backgrounds, all those kinds of things. And that's the diversity in the kingdom of God. But what we're all called to be is to have the same character, to fit into that character. And that character gets expressed in lots of beautiful ways. And that's what we're called. We're not all called to be robots and be the same. But we're all called to be in that character. Sons, like if, we, if you have children, you know your children don't all look exactly like you. Sometimes they frightenly act like too much like you. right? But they don't all, and they don't all look alike. There's, there's a similarity to them, right? You can could, you could see the resemblance in yourselves and with each other but they're unique and they're different but what you are called to do as a parent is to instill character my job is not to instill my character though is it that i do not want them to have i want them to have the character of jesus all uniquely displayed and manifested in this world that's what god is calling us to be all the unique characteristics which which we are To share the character of Christ to the world and to each other. Where is Jesus? Perhaps Jesus is asking, Where are you? Where are you? We are to be people that are hearers and doers, doers of Him, doers of His character. Jesus is looking for people to be here and do his word. Jesus is looking for himself in you. And he's not just saying, hey, good luck with that. He's, he's intricately involved in this process. God is recreating you in his image. This is good news. Will you trust Jesus in this heavy lifting that he needs to do? Will you join him in the labor where Jesus begins to form the character in you? You see, really seeking Jesus is learning to trust in him. You want to find where Jesus is, you begin to trust in him. It's just like exercise and diet willpower is not enough. You know this, right? When you try to set out an exercise routine or a diet, your willpower will fail you. But the best, the best methods, right, and to, to keep a good diet or to keep is to be in a group that holds you accountable to it. Right? God's gift for us is He, he gives us this, this indwelling, abiding Holy Spirit, which gives us the willpower or convicts us to begin to trust Him. But that's why we also need each other to come alongside when our trust wavers, when we falter. We need to spot each other in our trust acts. And when you're lifting heavy weights, right? you're supposed to have a spotter. I don't, I don't really lift heavy weights, so I don't even know what that is about. Uh, but I, when I lift my 15 pounds, sometimes I can use a spotter. <laughs> right? You need a spotter in your life, to help Jesus. We need multiple of them. You can't do this by yourself. God gives us the indwelling Holy Spirit to not just help ourselves, but to help each other. The next few weeks, I'm going to take a little sidetrack off of John, and I want to give you a pat, I know, I know. I got six weeks to think about this. (laughs) I want to give you a practical examples of what trusting Jesus looks like some practical examples through Scripture what trusting Jesus looks like. What doing the Word practically looks like. And here's the teaser. Right, You're prepared for this? This is what the next two weeks or more will look like. A hearer and doer of the Word is a penitent person. That's what it looks like to trust Jesus, to be Repentant. Like what? To be repentant. A life of repentance. It's one of the models that Jesus gives throughout all the gospel. He models a life of repentance. Not because he needs to repent from anything. But he chooses to repent for us. He chooses to model a life of repentance for us. And actually to to be a substitutory atonement of repentance for us. But a hearer and doer of Jesus is a person that lives a life of repentance day in and day out until the day you die. Before you freak out that I'm preaching works based salvation and not faith-based, hear it very clearly, right? We are justified by the works of God. Period. Period. You are made right by the works of God. You are given his righteousness, not because you deserve it, because you need it. And he gives it to you. He imputes it to you. Boom. Done. Once and for all. But it's more than that. Salvation is more than that. It's that sanctification being made into his character, being made holy, set apart. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says this, for godly grief Produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. If you were just justified, that's not salvation. God has changed your heart. I said it earlier, right? My friend Brian says, right, the best definition of repentance that he begins to understand is that God gives you the vision to see your sin like he sees it. Because you and I, when we look at our sin and look at our life, you may be, like, think, oh, that's pretty bad. But you don't understand the depth of the bad of that. How horrendous and stinky that is. And God begins to give you that life and gives you that ability. I, need to, I want to repent of that. I want to trust him more. God produces repentance in us. The work of the Holy Spirit, God in you, convicts us of our sin, allows us to trust in him, to trust in the cross, which is our justification, and then produces a repentance in us, which is the process of our sanctification. And what did I say? How does sanctification work? What is the, one of the main ways that God uses sanctification? He uses the Holy Spirit through each and every one of us to help sanctify his people. That's his model. It's not the only way he can do it, but it's the primary way in which he sanctifies us. The work of Christ in you is through all these people. It's on the cross and through all these people. Repentance is part of the full Good news. Our existence in this life is a life of repentance. It's the act of trust, repenting. Matthew 3 8 says, Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. All the fruit of the Holy Spirit in you is a life of repentance that God is working out in you. So, the next two weeks, we're going to look particularly at two aspects. repentance. There's lots of extra repentance, and we might do more, but two that we're going to hit on, two ways in which it practically looks like in our lives is restitution as repentance and repair as repentance. Restitution and repair. Let's pray. Gracious Father, loving Lord, I give you thanks for your faithfulness that you are a God of the covenant and you are a God of promises and you do not waver upon them. Our actions do not make you waver from your promises. You know the brokenness. You know the brokenness of our heart and of this world and you've made promises and you are at work and you are present. Open up our eyes to see you. Open up our eyes to be gathered together and draw our hearts to be gathered together to be with your community. Lord, we thank you for your your Holy Spirit that indwells in us, that allows us to trust when we do not want to trust. To trust in you, in which we do not want to trust in. Lord, give us that satisfaction of knowing who you are, and being with you. Grow us as a community. God's children. Do that hard work in us. And help us enter into in that work of sanctification. We know it will be complete because it is your work. And what you start, you will finish. And so you start a work in us. And we give you thanks for that. We know that this is sometimes a painful and hard journey for us but we trust in you. We trust in your way, and we trust that you love us. We give you thanks for that. Help us along this journey. Help us to understand what it means to act in trust and repent. We pray this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Amen.